Social anxiety syndrome, better known as imposter syndrome, is a real thing. It comes in many guises and can be relentless in blindsiding people, and you'd be surprised by who it affects. I'm Nick Ede, and in this series, I'm speaking to some of the most successful and talented people in the public eye who suffer from what I call imposter syndrome. They didn't choose me because they had nobody else to choose. They chose me for a reason. But at the same time, I personally, I didn't feel worthy of being there. That's my guest for today, A.L. Booker, who found fame the modern way by becoming a reality TV star after appearing on season four of Love Island. Is reality TV a hotbed of imposter syndrome? Thank you for doing this, I really appreciate it. This is all about um, social anxiety syndrome, which is basically imposter syndrome. And the reason why I wanted to do this podcast and I've been working on, I've got some great names and thank you for doing this for me, is that no, really pleasure. what we, you know, I think your, you, your story and where you've come from and how you have got into the public eye and how you remain in there, I'm sure you've got some really interesting uh, things, takeouts from where you've kind of thought, why the hell am I here? You know, you're doing the X Factor and you've got to that level and so that's kind of where we've where we're starting on it's funny I've, I've inter- I interviewed uh, Eva Longoria last week and she's like every, she said every single day I have imposter syndrome she wakes up in her bedroom and she's like this is so not really it's, it's very interesting which is why I wanted to do this because just after I came out of Love Island or maybe not just after but a couple of months after as I had been thrusted into this new world um I I was struggling quite a lot and I met with a life coach. Um, It was a lady that my mum recommended. She was kind of part of the community that I grew up in. And I went to see her and I didn't really connect with her because it felt like I was in more of a therapy session than it was a life coaching session to say. But one thing that I took from there and was a word that I, I never knew and I never knew it existed, but I always felt this way was imposter syndrome. And she said, and she basically said to me that, that she believes that I have or I suffer from imposter syndrome. And from that day on, it kind of like it was this realization of something that existed that I never knew existed, but made sense as soon as I was told that it existed. And I'm sure during this, we'll go into kind of my backstory and um, I guess. Well, if we can, kind of my upbringing and the, and the struggles that I faced academically and at school and why I've always felt an element of imposter syndrome in everything that I do. So we, well, let's let's just start there. We'll just start chatting and, and go from there because that's, the most, you know, this is about, I think, realising that so many people go through it and we have these weird ses- weird times when we kind of have out-of-body experience when we question our own abilities and existence and I was talking to a woman uh, yesterday Camilla Dallarat again she she was talking about you know being Strictly and she won Strictly Come Dancing and then she as a professional never felt that she should have been there and she always felt that people were looking at her saying why are you here and she's like well because I'm a professional and I'm top of my game so let's start right at the beginning for you so how do how did have you had it from but didn't identify it for years or how did it manifest itself in you so it started off, I think, so when I was at school in about year three, I, my parents put me into a private primary school and I was really struggling at that point. I wasn't learning like the rest of my classmates. 
teachers were really quite strict and set in their ways. And I was going through, I was having mental health difficulties because of my struggles at school. So my parents took me um, to like a specialist centre. Actually, no, it starts before that, right? So I had a speech impediment when I was, I think, eight or nine years old and I couldn't mutter, I couldn't put a sentence together properly. I went into speech therapy um, for about a year and finally started to overcome that speech impediment that I had. And so at school, whilst conversing with other kids and stuff, it was always at the back of my mind that kind of, can I hold this conversation? Am I worthy of, of having this conversation from a young age? And then I got to school and in about year three, year four, um, I was struggling a lot, had mental health issues, got tested and um, turns out that I was dyslexic and just wasn't learning in the right way. And because I was quite mm. behind, my parents sent me... Um, I was privileged enough to go to a dyslexic school for a year that specialised in teaching me how to kind of teach myself in a mainstream environment. And so from there, in year five, I got put back into mainstream school. And I think from that day on, I felt like I was an imposter within a class because I wasn't like everyone else around me. Mm. And And then from there, you feel like... So I from different. there it it kickstarted this difference, you know. I knew that I could I could solve the same task, but I had to approach it in a different way. And I knew that I could learn what everyone else was learning, but I needed to learn it in the way that I learned things, in the way that I retained information, which wasn't reading it over and over and it be drilled into me, you know. There were there were different methods of learning, and I still strongly believe that for everyone learns differently and which is why school is such an interesting place because you have the kids that are very academic and book smart but then you have people who aren't as academic learn in a different way and go on to achieve things far outside of all expectations and yeah and I think you're right people do pigeonhole people don't they and I remember I went I went to a public school and it was crazy because I wanted all I wanted to be was an actor and I loved it and I wanted to be in the in the drama classes and everything and the school plays and it, the rugby the people who were in the, the academics and in the first 15 in rugby were the ones who all got the main parts in the plays and I'd sit there going how does that actually work how does yes. that you know you can play rugby and you can tackle but and you're also getting everything and you also become a prefect but I'm the one that actually wants to be the actor. For sure. So surely I should be. And I remember when I got a part, I'd sit there and I'd be like, I, I would have that imposter syndrome because I'd be sitting there going, well, I'm not academic and I'm also not a rugby player. So how the hell am I here? Yes, so why should <laughs> I be there? You know, and it's this, it creates this image of a person that you're meant to be. And so then when I got into secondary school, again, you know, sports was something I was good at and everything else I wasn't. And if you were kind of good at sports, in, in a sense, you know, you were the kind of joker of the class and you weren't really mm. academic, but, you know, I loved English and I loved writing and I have a great imagination and I really enjoyed that aspect. But I struggled within within a class environment and all of a sudden, you know, I was good at things, but then I, I was told that I wasn't ever going to be able to achieve some things. And almost back then, I think if you would have asked teachers who was going to do well in life and who wasn't I would have been in that category of somebody who wasn't really going to do very well wasn't going to achieve that much you know tried hard but didn't 
didn't have the academic capacity in order to go on or didn't appear to have the drive in order to achieve anything. Mm-hmm. And so I, from early on, I just felt like an imposter that I was in an environment that I wasn't suited to. And so after my GCSEs at 16, right, I, I was never really, I went, I was never really a performer, but I think growing up, you know, dreaming of being a pop star was just an everyday occurrence for a young teen growing up in the 2000s, you know. Um, I got the opportunity to go and join a pop band called Ever Young through the Sylvia Young Theatre School. Oh, yeah. I wasn't much of a singer, but I knew that I could potentially hold a tune. And I went in and auditioned. They put me next to a piano and I went up and down the scale and it turns out that I could hold a note. They then liked me, I, I, without sounding big-headed, I think they liked me more because of what I looked like than what I could do. Yeah. I got offered a place in this band and I signed, this, I signed a contract to join this band full-time for the next three and a half years and left school at 16 to go on that journey, signed to an independent record label. And again, from that day that I went in for that audition, I've always believed in myself that I can achieve anything and everything I put my mind to. But I was not a singer. So again, I entered a realm of feeling like an imposter within an industry that I wasn't, I wasn't trained in. The other, three, the other three girls and guys that I was in a band with were trained musical theatre kids that went through the whole full process of going to a musical theatre school, auditioning for different shows, being in the West End, and then ending up in a pop band, whereas I had never performed a day in my life and come 16 I joined a pop band next to them getting on stage trying to perform that's brilliant though but the thing is I suppose when you have that imposter syndrome you never ever feel satisfied do you you feel like in some ways as you as you just said you shouldn't be there because you haven't got the qualifications or you're not who they are you haven't studied like they have etc and it's you know it's this real double-edged sword I find because the you know I know I have something to give and I know that there's a reason why I am there. I didn't, they didn't choose me because they had nobody else to choose. They chose me for a reason. But at the same time, I, pers- I didn't feel worthy of being there. But in the back of my mind, there was that voice that was saying, well, you're here because they wanted you here. So you must be here for a reason. And then there's the other voice going, but you've never done this before and you have no reason to be here. So why are you here <laughs> kind of thing? But and what's good about it is it's given you, it gives you from an early age, you kind of, hopefully you've got a lot of confidence because you are working with people that you don't really know particularly well. You're circumnavigating lots of situations. And so that probably sets you up for doing something like a Love Island show where, again, you're amongst lots of strangers. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you say that because you have this, you do find this incredible amount of confidence to have faith in yourself and believe that you're in the right place at the right time for the right reasons. But there is always this, the the voice of doubt, you know, Mm. and it's this, and it's this voice in the back of your mind that is saying, well, why you? What, like, Mm. surely someone else should be in your place, you know, someone that's more qualified, someone that's trained in it, you know, and it's, it's, you've almost got to silence that, that voice in order to move forward and do what you want to do. I always wanted to be in a pop band. So I took that leap of faith 
But there was always that voice saying, well, you're not worthy of being here. But deep down, I knew that it's an experience that I wanted to have. And then from leaving that, I got into modelling, which was something that I didn't feel like an imposter in. And I didn't because, again, without trying to sound egotistical, but people would always praise me on what I looked like. Mm. And it was it was a nice thing to be praised on, but I always wanted to be recognised for the person that I am inside, as well as looking like what I look like, which is why I then moved away from modelling and decided to do a TV show like Love Island, because... When I was single, I was ready to have fun and go into a villa and potentially find love. But it was also to showcase who I am as a person and not just be this one dimensional person that people look at and think he looks nice, but but has no substance. But did you find obviously going into something in Love Island because you were in the fourth fourth season? That's right, isn't it? So. Yes. You'd obviously seen seen it before, seen how people are, and you know, I you know, I I love that show, and I you know, when you were on it, you were a very different character to you know ninety percent of them because you had a different sort of way of talking, your your um, outlook on life, and you were much more cerebral, as you know, and in and in quite well, in a weird way, you were quite introverted, really. And yes. Did that? Did did you find that difficult when you? are in a situation like that and once again it's like well actually that's not you that's your vessel that's who that's what you look like but inside there's something different so it's interesting I never to this day I wish I watched Love Island before I went on it like other people (laughs) did because I knew about the show but I'd never watched it religiously I'd seen a few episodes from previous seasons but I didn't do my research and Mm. I wish I did because I would have known what I was getting myself into a little bit more I would have still done it but being slightly more educated on the whole environment and process. Um, the reason I went on Love Island was in order to show and to hopefully be a positive influence to show that you you don't have to be this stereotypical male figure in mm. reality TV. You know, I, mm. I'd like to think that, <clears throat> as you said, I'm an extrovert, but I am an introvert. And I'm not the typical character that you might find on a show like Love Island, but that doesn't make me any less worthy of being there. No, of and it doesn't mean that I shouldn't, that people, sh- there's enough people out there that are similar to me or, or that can relate to me. And so I wanted to go on there to be a relatable character to show all the people that felt disconnected to previous characters and doubted who they were to be able mm-hmm. to relate to somebody else and say, actually, you know what, it's okay to to be the way that I am or be slightly more sensitive or, you know, try and articulate what I want to say more or be more in touch with nature and the environment and kind of ha- having a healthy mind and body. Yeah, and that, and that obviously came out a lot. And I think in some ways it polarises people because they don't expect it. They expect uh, a sort of stereotype which they've created in their own mind. So... When you came out of doing Love Island, did what did you? Because did you did life change for you? Was it completely different to what you expected, or did you kind of know going in? What to be honest, when I, you came out? I knew that there was potential for there to be a lot of kind of excitement and hype around me or anyone that goes in there, but it was always also a gamble 
and I didn't really know how I was perceived. Love Island was one of the most amazing experiences, and I'm so grateful for it. But also one of the hardest experience that experiences that I've ever faced because I didn't expect it to be as difficult and as mentally draining and as much self discovery as there was in there. And yeah. so when I came out. Again, there was this element of imposter syndrome because TV is an edited version of reality. So all of a sudden, I was in Love Island for a month. It was, it's an edited show because there's 24 hours of a day fitted into 45 minutes of an episode. And people now have a perception of me that isn't 100% true. And so all of a sudden, I'm just this spiritual nature loving tree tree hugging hippie kind of vibe and and that is definitely an element of me but there was also these 24 hours where I was just a, a young 23 24 year old happy-go-lucky guy that was just in there having fun and so people were heckling things at me and they were commenting on things on Instagram and they were portraying me in this light because that's what they had seen me as and all of a sudden I felt so lost because I didn't really, I didn't understand what they didn't see and what they did see, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I think you have to, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy because you're suddenly in, in, a, in a show which is completely watched by the whole of the country and they will think they've got their opinion of you and you know who you are and I think it's interesting as we you know we can talk about this a bit but with the whole mental health thing with uh love island everything that's happened recently and previously it's it's um the duty of care for you for everybody and for for viewers has to be kind of reviewed in a in a way because they can't see you as commodities they have to see you as human beings and i find that very interesting how hopefully the tide has changed but it was getting quite aggressive for a while Definitely. And I think I think as the general public and the audience that watch it don't actually realise how much weight their words hold a lot mm. of the time. And it can it can make you quite insecure about the person that you are, because all mm. of a sudden you you've opened yourself up to criticism across the board. And, you know, I think no matter who you are, there's going to be people that connect with you and understand what you're about. And then there's also people that have a complete disconnect towards you and don't understand the things that you're into or the things that you appreciate or the things that you want to talk about. But mm. in a day to day world, you know, you connect with the people that connect with you and you don't really cross paths with the people that don't. Because in your life, it, you know, you follow your journey and, and you come across the right people, whereas all of a sudden you step onto a TV show and the right and the wrong people are all watching you and all having an opinion of you. But one thing which took me a while to learn after Love Island, after the other reality shows that I went on, was really that the people that I got to meet and I got to talk to and wanted to throw their opinions of me at me, I was very quickly able to, to make them see a different side of me and connect with them on a level where they walked away 90% of the time going oh you know half the people I would meet turned to me and said I didn't think you were like a normal a normal guy I thought you were some 
kind of I thought you were going to get really deep in this conversation or or you know I wasn't going to be able to relate to you and all these people I started to meet whether it was fans of the shows whether it was at nightclubs for meet and greets whether it was through other tv shows and work and production across the board they started to say hang on a minute you're you're actually a decent guy that I can that is relatable and Mm. that's when I started to realize that the people that you get to meet and know you very quickly know you for who you are and the people Mm. that you've never met but think they know you have an opinion of you that you are never going to be able to change until they either see you in a different light or they meet you and I think for me I had to come to peace with that and eventually when I did I started to not take to heart the opinions of people that I had never met and only really cared about the opinions of people that were that were around me and that have known me for a long enough time in order to know truly who I am and who I'm not. Exactly because you can't you know as they always say you can't please everybody all the time and I think the thing is that you you realize in in the public eye that everyone's going to have an opinion of you and I think the way you know we're talking about imposter syndrome the funny thing is imposter syndrome is is inside your brain and it's something you feel every day and then suddenly you're getting people on Instagram telling you how you should feel or telling you what you look like or telling you why you're wrong and it it just it it can create a lot of you know a lot of issues in you but also also if you've got good you know yourself well enough it can allow you to suddenly as you just said you really know what's good and what's right and what's wrong completely and And especially if you've got the right people around you who can bring you back from that kind of dark place you know and yeah for forever i i've always known that i'm not you know i'm not the most academic i'm not the most book smart but i'm good at what i am good at and i still don't know what i'm good at but i know i'm good at it you know and yeah, yeah. And it's something my mum's always said to me we all have a bag of tricks every one of yeah. us in this world and I don't know what's in your bag of tricks and you don't know what's in my bag of tricks but if I pull out that trick from my bag and do that trick good enough I've convinced you that I'm good at that trick and yeah. you're never going to question the background of it yeah but you might question it. That's the problem with the imposter syndrome. Afterwards, you're like, oh, my God, I fooled them all. Or I did. That's how Completely. I feel. Sometimes. I'm like, I sat, sometimes when I'm public speaking, I'll stand up and I'll be like, I'm talking to all these people and they are listening to everything I say. And I'm like, how the f- hell did I get away with that? And why did why should I even be here? And that's kind of such a strange thing, because I want to talk to you about um, the X Factor, because that is a totally to me like that. Well, first of all, I never knew you were in a pop band. So going back, who would have thought that, you know, a few years later, you're actually on one of the biggest shows in the world Definitely. you know, on, as a pop star. And um, how did that make you feel? Or do you think to yourself, actually, I've come home. I feel really good here because actually that's what I did a few years ago. I- I definitely didn't feel like I'd come home. Okay. <laughs> because I never, I never fully felt comfortable with band that I was in originally. Okay, but I yeah. always knew that it was, it was something that I wanted to either try and try and do again, or have an opportunity to put it to bed for mm-hmm. once and for all. So when the X Factor opportunity came along, like I people across the country auditioned for it in the public eye and it was one of those things and I walked into that audition so nervous I hadn't Mm. been that nervous since probably going on Love Island and that was one of the most nerve-wracking experiences of my whole life and I walked in there and I remember talking at the very beginning and I said look 
I'm not the best singer in the world. I'm not coming in here as a solo artist, but there's an element because of my previous experience, I know what I bring to a group environment. So if you're looking to put a group together, I think I could add value to that. And then I sung a song, right? And I sung um, an Amy Winehouse song with a backing track. And I was so nervous. I forgot to breathe. I completely lost the tune of the song. It was out of tune and it was awful. And luckily, I then sung an a cappella song, which I really enjoyed doing. And I, I was, I kind of, I hit the notes and, and I was in tune and it was okay. And it showcased my ability to, to kind of that I could sing, but I wasn't going to be on a, a solo artist like Michael Bublé on stage. Yeah. You know? um, but that process was difficult because especially when we got to the live shows, you know, that I felt extremely out of my depth. Yeah. Of course I did. We were around... You know, it's a grueling experience. You've got singing teachers and you've got producers. And these people have worked with some incredible talent. And all of a sudden, you're in a singing class. And I love the guys that I was in the group with. You know, they're amazing and they are friends of mine. So we all are comfortable around each other. But it's also a very uncomfortable experience when you are completely exposed and you're standing in a room and you are told to sing a couple of lines of a song just to a piano that you've just learned in front of your three good friends and a bunch of people you don't know. And so yeah. there, there were moments within that where I felt like the biggest imposter. And I remember leaving and I would sit in these Addison Lees on the way back and I would just, I would feel so out of my depth and so uncomfortable that I didn't really know what to do. But at the same time, and. I always I think that we grow outside of our comfort zone and I learned things within that about myself and about my abilities that if I would have given up I would have never learned. Yeah and you kind of like it make you know as you said you have you have to go out of your comfort zone because otherwise you're never going to expand in any any shape or form and I suppose doing it what you did was you've 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 ticked another box in your in your life goals that you never thought you'd ever experience and you've done it. And I think that one thing I do think about those reality shows is that they don't show enough of what you've just said. You know, you nervous singing in front of your mates, having to make sure the tune is right. Because we all, when we watch those shows, we think to ourselves, oh, well, that's a celebrity. They can sing, they can dance, they're fine. And that's totally not, not the case, is it? Completely. And as I actually think it's a huge shame because, you know, just because we're in the public eye and we're labelled as being a celebrity doesn't make us any less human than anybody else. And to see the journey, you know, we were all so out of our depths and there were times where we were, we were so nervous and so uncomfortable and, and so scared, but we wanted to be there because we, we believed that we could be there, but, but the journey wasn't shown as much as it should be. And even on Island, you know, there were moments that so I've never watched the show back. I've never watched Love Island back. I very okay. rarely watch myself on any of the shows that I've been on because it makes me quite uncomfortable. I don't mm -hmm. know what it is. And I guess it's probably an element of imposter syndrome as well. Yeah, definitely. But I can't I can't I, f I feel uncomfortable watching myself and I almost I've never really said this, but I kind of cringe at myself. But at the same time, that is who I am within that moment. 
And yeah. so I don't want to look too much into it because who I am has got me to this far, this far. And I don't want to change that because, because that is who I am. Yeah. It's funny because my, all my friends always say to me, like, because I've got a lot of confidence, but I'm exactly like you. I've also, you feel nervous a lot of the time. And my friends always say, what about the past? And it always reminds me of The Lion King when Rafiki hits um, Simba on the head and Simba goes, why did you do that? And Rafiki goes, it doesn't matter, it's in the past. And it's true. You can't, yeah. you can't change that. You know, hindsight was a great thing, but you just got to live in the moment and make Completely. sure that everything you do is from who you are. So listen, I want to ask, I'm going to ask you two questions. One question is a big fan question from me. Obviously, you've got a great new girlfriend. You don't need to talk about that, but it must be extremely strange being in an environment where you also are going to LA and Hollywood and you've got potentially future mother-in-law, father-in-law, and <laughs> yes. they are Hollywood, you know, royalty in many ways, reality royalty. Does that, when you sit there in a room with, with Lisa Rinna, does that make you go, oh my God, this is so insane? Or do you think, actually, I deserve to be here and it's all fine? Do you know what? It's one thing that, so I didn't actually know who Delilah's parents were yeah, okay until I was with Delilah but I've never really I all I've always taken people as people and humans are humans so no matter really who I've ever been around I've always been able to connect with them on on quite a human level and there's been times where you know I've gone to events um with Delilah and I'm I'm around this Hollywood world that is is quite crazy and I've had to really take a step back and and just think oh my god you know I'm like how has this happened kind of thing. yeah or I did the upfronts in New York with ITV USA for the mm-hmm. launch of Love Island US and and there were some there were just some ridiculous actors and actresses that I've grown up watching on TV and then all of a sudden I'm in a I'm in a room with them um, yeah but I I know that I've worked so hard in order to be there and so I know that I'm just as worthy of it as anyone else but there is I that think... moment where it's you you kind of have to pinch yourself and say how how did I get here you do yeah you do pinch yourself and then you I mean my one of my funniest ones was I was once picked I know Kelly Osborne really well and her mum she said to me oh my mum's gonna come pick you up from the airport and I was like no Kelly Osborne is not gonna come pick me up from LAX that's not gonna yeah, happen and there true. is there is Sharon Osborne picking me up from LAX and turning around to me and we pass this really bad like Sheraton airport hotel and goes oh Ozzy and, Oz- and I used to go and have sex in there because it's nobody ever would think we'd ever go there the paparazzi would never follow up wow. and I'm just sitting there I'm sitting there with her going this is just a normal mum you come or, or, almost on a school run just like yes. chatting talking about their past and you suddenly realise that we we are all the same, you know. We've all we've all achieved things we want to achieve, and we just have you just you know we all cough, we all laugh, and we all have a, a good time. And I think that's the best thing about about the way they are. It, I think what makes it more real and is when other people bring it up, you know. So yes. fans of Delilah's parents, for instance, will say, "Oh my God, you know what's it like?" I I watch her on TV the whole time or I'm a huge fan of Harry Hamlin and all things like that. And, and all of a sudden then it's that click where it's like, okay, you know, like I like, wow. If that yeah. Makes 
No, I totally get it. So listen, if, if you could be anybody for, for a day, somebody else, who would that be and, and why would you be that person? So this is, this is an interesting one. Um, at this moment in time, with the current world and everything that's going on, and I know it sounds funny and people are going to say, oh, typical, if they saw me on Love Island and stuff. Um, but it would, um, I'm even laughing at myself saying this, <laughs> but it would, it would be a monk for the reason of having true, consistent inner peace and continuously being able to live in the present moment. Yeah, that's a really that's, good one. That's, that's a really good one. Because I, I, try, I try my utmost, you know, I read a lot about this kind of stuff and, and I think I'm quite a present person um, and I try and achieve inner peace. But, you know, it's a hard battle between living in the past um, and living in the, living in the future and preempting yeah. things. Um, and I would like to spend a day just being completely at peace with with everything and you know having a day where you don't deviate from from that present moment listen thank you so much you've been absolutely brilliant and i've really enjoyed this i could talk to you forever <laughs> uh i can't wait to see what else is going to come up in your life i'm sure we're gonna uh, we're gonna have an album soon hopefully and oh, you never know There's some exciting <laughs> you never know stuff, you never know. oh thank but you, thank so, you so much, much. i really appreciate it That's our show for today. I hope you liked it and found it both entertaining and enlightening. If you did, please subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, give us a five-star review just to make us feel we deserve it. Follow us on at PodPeopleUK, at Nick Eid and at AL Booker. Imposter Syndrome was presented by me, Nick Eid, and produced by Mike Hansen for PodPeople Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. We'll be in your feed next Thursday. From Sister Rosetta Tharp, Lil Harding, Billie Holiday, and Bessie Smith. And she was talking about what, what inspired her, and Bessie Smith was somebody that came up. To the lovely Nora Jones, Amy Winehouse, the brilliant stars from Tomorrow's Warriors. Women have always played a vital, but often overlooked role in the evolution and progression of blues and jazz. There's this amazing clarinetist based in New Orleans called Doreen Ketchins. I'm Colette Cooper, singer, actor, musician, and host of Sisters in the Shadows, Women in Blues and Jazz, the new podcast from Pop People Productions. I'll be delving into the rich history of female artists, not just the vocalists, but the composers, the instrumentalists, and the band leaders too. What impact did they have? Well, I mean, where was their influence felt today? Not just with women, but also with men. Why were so, so many female instrumentalists and composers overshadowed for so long? Why? And would there ever be an Elvis without Sister Rosetta? I don't think so. 
I'll be talking to broadcasters and musicians like the gorgeous Huey Morgan, the gorgeous Tony Minville, and the gorgeous Soweto Kinch, writers and historians, and some of the sparkling talent rising up on the blues and jazz scene today, like the brilliant Sarah Tandy, the brilliant Sharice Adams Burnett. As soon as anyone name drops, I, I would like write down in my little notebook, and that was the, one of the first instances that it happened with Clueless. I'm like, okay, I like what I hear. Who the hell Billy Holiday is? The brilliant Camilla George, the brilliant Numbia Garcia, and loads, loads more. About Rosie Turton, Hannah Boyer. I mean, they're just such a pleasure to work with and to know. That's Sisters in the Shadows, Women in Blues and Jazz, with me, Colette Cooper, the new podcast from Pop People Productions, in aid of Nordif Robbins Music Therapy Charity, which whom I'm a very proud ambassador for. So yes, it's coming soon to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favourite shows.